again to study these matters concerning family life. I'm grateful to have this opportunity, and I hope you understand that in the presentation of this material, I'm learning just like you are. And often as, as preachers, we at least squirm a little bit that, that people think that all the things we preach on we've perfected, and we certainly haven't done that. And uh, I can look back and see certainly my failures and uh, deficiencies as a husband and as a father. But nonetheless, we need to understand what God has to say about it. And that's what our purpose is, and that's what our goal is in these studies. And we talked to you on Friday night about the design of marriage. And we talked about how that God designed that one man be married to one woman, and that the two of them should unite their bodies together as one flesh. And that certainly eliminates homosexual marriages. It eliminates bigamy and polygamy. It eliminates young men and young women living together. God designed that they should leave their fathers and mothers and that they should cleave. And that means that they should purpose and, and, and vow to, to stick together like glue. And God intended for marriage, as we will see in our afternoon session, to be a permanent arrangement until death, as we vow, do we part. And we're bound to our mates as long as we shall live, as Paul said in Romans, the seventh chapter. And so we're emphasizing in this study not only the permanency and the design of marriage, but we want to talk about the individual aspects of marriage and uh, we wanted to talk to the husbands and the men. We did that last night. We want to talk in this Bible class hour to the women. We want to talk to the mothers and the wives. And then we're going to talk to husbands and wives as mothers and fathers in the worship hour. And we'll be talking about training up a child in the way that he should go. And then as already indicated, we will talk about the permanency of marriage. I have a few things to say about divorce and remarriage. Uh, in our afternoon and in our final session together. But we want to talk to the wives today. We want to talk to those who have uh, decided to join themselves as one flesh to their husbands and to understand what their role in this family life is all about. And I want us to begin to talk about the idea of subjection because Jesus made it very clear in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, when he said, Wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And I know that in modern times that's created a lot of controversy. And a lot of people have drawn conclusions that are not accurate with regard to what that subjection means. And we want to suggest to you at the very beginning that because a wife is told to be in subjection to her husband is not an estimate of her value to the family, it's not an estimate of her ability. We know many men who are inferior in a lot of ways to their wives. They may have less education. They may not be quite as smart as their wives. And there are a lot of ways in which husbands are inferior to their wives, and just because they're the head of the wife doesn't make them superior. When it says a wife is to be in subjection to her husband, it's describing the role that she has in the family and is not a comment on her ability. And I find that in, in a lot of homes that 
wives and mothers are often better Bible students than their husbands and, and the fathers of those families. And so when we talk about being in subjection, we're not saying that she's inferior. We're not saying that she is a second-class citizen, so to speak, in the family. We're not saying that she is unequal to him as a human being. We're not saying that she is subhuman in some way. Uh, These are not comments on her ability. Uh, These are simply an assignment of responsibilities uh, that she has. You can look at the business world. And a lot of businesses are very successful. But those businesses are often successful because of the workers. And the workers in those corporations or in those businesses are in subjection to the corporate leaders and so forth. And yet in some instances and in many instances, they are superior in ability to accomplish the goals that are designed for that corporation. And yet they have to work in subjection to the leaders of that corporation or to that business. While they may be superior in talent and intelligence and education, a lot of other things, the role and the responsibility that they have in that company is to be in subjection to the rules and the regulations and and the work uh, responsibilities that are given in that. So uh, I find that many wives are superior to their husbands intellectually. I I, I, I see that uh, many times they're superior to their husbands educationally. may have a master's degree. He may haven't even been to college. And understand that they're superior sometimes emotionally uh, in, in the, the, the character of their being and the way they can relate to him and so forth in the relationship. And, and a good many of them I've found to be superior to their husbands spiritually, not only in Bible knowledge, but in, in, in the very character and the very devotion and the dedication that they have to God. And in a lot of cases, they're superior to the husband socially. When you have people into the home, they do a better job of relating to the people and, and making them feel comfortable and, and, and being uh, an influence and an impact on their lives. And so there are just all kinds of directions that you can go to illustrate and to emphasize that when God said for a wife to be in subjection to her husband, he was not commenting on her ability. He is not commenting on the value that she has to the home. He is describing a relationship and a role that she is to play in that relationship of being in subjection to her husband. And so I want to uh, clear that up at at the very beginning uh, of our study. But then I want us to move now uh, into this idea of what she is designed to be in this home. Now, obviously, as we've seen, she is to be in subjection to her husband. He is to take charge, as we studied last night. He is to be the the leader of the relationship and all of that. But what is her role in subjection to her husband? What has she been designed to accomplish? And I think to understand that, you have to go back to the beginning. And if you go back to the beginning in Genesis, the second chapter, beginning there with verse 18, it is quite clear that after God had created man, he was insufficient himself alone. 
And God looked upon all the animal world. And he could look at the sheep, or he could look at the cows, or he could look at the dogs and the cats or the monkeys or whatever. He looked over that animal world, and what he noticed, as he points out to us, is that there was nothing there that was suitable for man. And so he said twice in this text, in Genesis 2, that he would make woman, that he would make a help, and this help would be meat, M-E-T, suitable. And so God's design was that when he looked upon man, he saw that he was all alone. That man was lonely, that he had nothing in the animal world to meet his emotional or social needs and things of that kind. And so God decided that he would make woman, and he made her very special. He designed her himself that she might fit together with this man, and that first she might be a help to him that she would be his helper in life, and that she would be meat. He would make her in a way that she would be suitable to be the helper of man in this relationship. Now, when you use the word help, that means that man needs assistance, that man cannot accomplish what God has in mind for the human race by himself alone. And so he needs someone to aid him. He needs someone to help him. In other words, man by himself lacks something. Man by himself is insufficient. Man by himself is inadequate. And man cannot then fulfill the purposes that God has for the human race without the woman. And so he made this woman, designed her very specially, that she would be meet or suitable to fulfill what man was lacking. And so when we meet a woman that we love, and we commit ourselves to her, and we ask her to be joined to us as one flesh in this life, When we do that, we are asking her to fill in what's lacking in us. To help us to accomplish what God wants accomplished in this world of humanity. Now, let's take some examples of how that works. God wanted man to be fruitful and wanted man to multiply the human race. Man can't do that with a donkey. Man can't do that with an animal. He needs somebody special. He needs somebody that is designed to be able to accomplish that purpose. And so first of all, when God says to man to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth and to propagate the human race... He says, I will make for him a special person who is able to accomplish that. And it's interesting that Paul, when he talks about the relationship of husband and wife, 
or man and woman in 1 Timothy 2. He makes an unusual statement in verse 15 that she shall be saved in childbearing. That is a part of her basic responsibility. And if a woman takes that role as a wife to bear children unto her husband, and we'll see what other roles she has in relation to those children, she will be pleasing God. And she will be fulfilling the role that God, or one of the roles that God designed, designed her to accomplish. And she ought to take, if I can use the word pride, I know some people don't like to, to use that word because God resisteth the proud and all of that, but, but to, to, but to take at least, uh, to feel, uh, very esteemed in who she is that she's able to accomplish that with her husband, which God designed for him to do in this world. Secondly, if you'll notice, the reason, partially, not just to replenish the earth, not just to be a baby factory, but he looked upon man and saw that he was all alone. He saw that man was lonely. He saw that man needed a companion. That man needed somebody to fill that void of loneliness. Dog's not man's best friend. Or cats or anything else. And I know people that just love their pets and all of that. But that cat and that dog cannot fulfill the deepest voids in a man's heart and soul to have a companion who is socially on his level and like him. And so God designed the woman to fill that void of loneliness. He designed you to be your husband's friend and to be his best friend, to be his companion, to share life with him. God doesn't intend for a man and a woman just to live in separate corners in a building or a house somewhere. He intends for there to be a relationship between them in which she can fulfill or fill that hole in his soul of wanting somebody to talk to and somebody to visit with and somebody to be social with him. We all have that need. And I made that point uh, last night when I was talking about husbands. That when my first wife died, that I was so concerned as a young man in my early 40s. I was so concerned about whether or not I could contain myself physically with the lust that is built within a man at that age. And that turned out not to be a problem. The real problem was the lack of companionship, the loneliness. And there were times when it was almost unbearable to be alone at home and to look at that empty chair and not have somebody to discuss things with that had uh, occurred during the day. And that's the way man was at the beginning. And he was lonely and God said, I'll make, I'll make somebody that's special for him. And women, you need to understand you're special. 
Just because God says to be in subjection to your husband, don't be offended by that. Understand that in subjection to him, you have that role of being his companion. You have that role of being his friend. And you can be there for him. And women, I understand that there are PTA meetings to go to. And I understand that you like to shop. And I know a lot of women nowadays join fitness clubs and they like to go work out. And I know they like to go visit with their mothers and talk on the phone with their mothers. And I know they like to go out to garage sales and all these kinds of things. But let me tell you something. If you get so encumbered with those things that you fail to be a companion and a friend and an associate with your husband in the home, you have failed in the most basic task that God has given you as a wife. To be a companion and to be a friend to your husband. And if you're so busy with all of these things that you don't have time to spend with your husband in a social way, then you're failing. You're failing as a wife. And so not only are you there to be fruitful, but you're not just a baby factory. You're there to be a companion and to be a friend to your husband in a very social way. But thirdly, as I mentioned to you, the thing that concerned me a great deal when my wife died was the sexual drive that God has put in every one of us. And I say to you that God designed you to be able to fulfill that need that a man has sexually. And if there's if there's any evidence at all that homosexuality is sinful, it's the very nature of man and woman. Men are not designed by nature to have that kind of relationship together. And Paul in Romans 1, when he calls it a vile passion, he uses the expression that it's contrary to nature. But not so with you. God designed you and made you in such a way that you and your husband fit together like two puzzle pieces to be able to fulfill those urgent desires that are within man and woman partly to propagate the human race. But I'd like for you to go with me, if you would, for just a moment to 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. And Paul has three or four important things to say about this matter. Now, under the circumstances when Paul was writing, there was evidently something going on that he, he just said uh, concerning this matter. He said, I think it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, he said, for this particular time, and he talks about that later in the chapter, that it just, it's just not a great time to be married. And I don't think Paul was referring exclusively at least to the idea that that he felt he could serve the Lord with more diligence and, and, and more dedication without a wife uh, and, and without a family and all of that. And that's certainly part of Paul's reasoning. But later on, 
in the chapter he gets into the fact that they're going to go through some difficult times and you're going to make it a whole lot easier through those times if you're alone than if you're married. But, he says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 7, but behave, or rather he says, but because of fornication, let each man have his own wife and each wife have her own husband. Now, Paul is saying if you have that urge and that desire to fulfill your sexual needs, then he said, don't go out here and commit fornication. Don't go out here and just live with somebody or or just have, uh, as they say, one of those one-night stands with somebody. Don't do that. Don't commit fornication. He said, let each husband, each man rather, have his own wife, and each woman have her own husband, and let the husband render unto the wife her due. And likewise, the wife unto the husband. And he's saying in this relationship that your husband is due the fulfillment of this desire physically. And you owe that to him just as you may owe your house payment or your car payment. You owe that to your husband. But the husband owes that to the wife also. She has her urges. She has her needs. And though hers may be more emotional than it is physical, the point is she needs a husband. And she is do that also. And so husbands render to your wife their due. Secondly, the wife has not power over her own body but the husband. Now that word power is the word Jesus used when he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The husband has the authority over your body. You don't. And vice versa. And likewise, all the husband has power over, he doesn't have power over his own body, but the wife. And what he's saying is, that you have the right to your husband or you have the right to your wife. And she must understand that your needs must be fulfilled and you must pay that debt just like you would your house payment. You must fulfill that need. And then he goes ahead to say, Defraud not one another, except it be by consent for a season, that you may give yourselves to prayer, and so on. And so don't cheat one another out of this relationship. You fulfill the needs one to the other in this physical relationship. That is a part of what God designed a woman to be able to accomplish. And he looked around and he saw there was nothing in the animal world that could accomplish that purpose for man. And so woman has been specially made. And so I want you to think, women, of yourself as being something very special. Special because you can fulfill God's purpose of being fruitful and multiplying the human race within the marriage relationship. And you can fulfill your purpose of eliminating the loneliness and the need that a man has for companionship. And you can fulfill the needs that a man has through the lust of the flesh, 
through the physical needs, the sexual needs that he has uh, in the body. And so it's important then to recognize that a woman is very special and was designed very especially for a man. And that this idea of subjection is a role that she is to play in this relationship with her husband. That she indeed may be superior to her husband in lots of ways, but there's that role and that responsibility and those things uh, that we've just described that she was designed to accomplish so that man himself would not be alone in God's purpose for the human race as with the animal world to propagate it and so forth would be accomplished and fulfilled. And so when you go back to Genesis 2 and you read from verse 18 through the end of that chapter the description and the revelation of the creation of woman, it has to impress you that she's special. That she's specially designed. And so then afterwards he said, then let a man leave his father and mother. Let him leave his family relationship in which he was reared. And let her leave her family relationship in which she was reared. And let the two of them purpose to cleave and to stick together like glue. And to fulfill all of the relationships that God has built within man and has built within the woman. But we must move beyond the relationship uh, that she has there uh, with her husband on the very personal level. And understand also something else that a woman was designed to do. And in subjection to man, she has been given the responsibility to take charge of some things. She has been given a responsibility to become a leader within that relationship of being in subjection to her mate, her husband. Over in 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul was talking here about widows. And he was talking about widows indeed. He was talking about how if a man won't provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. Uh, he's not talking there just about his children. He's talking about his widowed mother and his family in general. That if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. And then he went ahead to describe what he would call a widow indeed. A widow who had been righteous and devoted to God and all of that. If she doesn't have a family to take care of her, then she becomes the responsibility of the church. And the church is to take care of widows indeed. That is, righteous and godly women who have no husband, have no children to provide for them. The church is responsible. But in the midst of all of that, he talks to these widows that are young. And he says to these widows that are young that you need to get married. It's better for you to marry. And when he talks about being better for them to marry, 
he begins to describe them being married and bearing children and all of this. And then he says, ruling the household. Being a worker at home, different translations of that. But what he is saying to you is that God designed you to take charge of the household. Now, obviously, we understand from other passages that doesn't make you the head of the family. But it does make you responsible for the ruling and the working and the controlling of what goes on in that house. Now, if you go back to Proverbs 31, why did the writer there describe this woman as being worthy? Because she took charge of the household. He describes her as one who rises early to prepare meals. He describes her as one who is spinning the wool and making cloth and then taking the cloth and making out of that garments. He talks about a lot of other things, but he says she looks well to the ways of her household. Here is a woman who understands that she's got a husband, uh, that's not under consideration in this passage, but she has a husband who certainly has the responsibility to provide for his family and all of that. And she needs to be in charge of the household. She is central to the well-being of how this house is run. And I'm, again, not talking about her being the head of the the family. I'm talking about her running the, the household. And you may recall over in Titus, the second chapter, and in verse 5, that the older women were to teach the younger women to be workers at home. And so there is that responsibility then that they have. And this is another value. Though they are subject to their husbands in the relationship, in the family relationship, think of the value that she has in taking charge of the household and preparing meals and cleaning the house. And it just kind of irks me for people to think that this is menial and that she's some kind of a slave and that she's doing grunt work and that kind of thing. That just kind of irritates me because both my first wife and my present wife are very dedicated housewives, and uh, they're great cooks. They keep the house clean. They they were responsible for uh, the children in, in, in many ways in the home and all of that. And those of us who have had that kind of experience know that this is important stuff. And why should you look down on a person who is so dedicated and so committed to her family, this is nothing to be ashamed of. And it doesn't make you inferior. Why is it inferior for you to be able to to make a a, a meatloaf or a, a lasagna that your husband loves and delights to eat? Why is that menial? Why is that not important? Why is that not of value? And women need to understand and not be ashamed of the fact that they are ministers. And that means they are servants 
in the household. And we all are ministers. And we are all servants. When those disciples and the mother got involved were arguing about who's greatest in the kingdom, Jesus said, He is greatest among you that serves. He is greatest among you that ministers. And in essence, He said, take a look at me. I didn't come down here to earth for you to minister to me. I'm not down here for you to serve me and meet my needs. I'm down here to minister and meet your needs and give my life a ransom for your sins. And when a woman in the house and in the home takes charge, she is devoted to a very important and a very great work in family life. And she's there as the husband is working. And ruling that household also involves, and we'll talk more about this in the next next hour, but she's there with those children from the time they're born. And she's holding them, and she's rocking them, and she's loving them, and she's disciplining them, and she's taking charge of the household. She's the keeper of the home. And that's so important. And if you want to know what's going on in our society today and what's the problem in South Chicago or in northern St. Louis where I live, if you want to know what the problem is, there's no daddies in those homes and those mothers are having babies and not taking care of them and not providing for them and not training them and teaching them. And it takes both the father and the mothers we're going to see in the, in the next hour. But But women, as they take charge of the household, are also responsible and taking charge of the well-being and the upbringing and the teaching of those children. And so I want us to understand in this session that man alone is insufficient. He can't, in the first place, produce a child by himself. And then, after producing one, he cannot alone take care of of the training and the bringing up of that child. He's insufficient. He's incomplete. He's inadequate. We need help. And God assigned it to our wives to help us. And there's nothing for us to be ashamed of to say, Honey, I can't make it without you. I need you. I need you socially. I need you as the mother of my children to be there to serve their needs. I need you to prepare meals. I need you to clean the house. All of these things are a part of family life. And you need to be in subjection to your husband. But don't you think less of yourself because you are in subjection to his leadership in the home. Because God, in that subjective role, has made you the leader in taking charge of the household and these things that are described with the worthy woman and are very obviously needed in all homes today. And so, woman is unique. Every one of you wives and every one of you mothers, you're unique, you're very special. And God created you separate from the man. He had created the man. And then he saw what man needed, and then he made you. And he made you very special. 
And you need to understand the talents and the abilities that you have, that they're unique. Dogs don't have the ability you have. Cows don't have the ability. A peach tree doesn't have the ability that you... You've got special, unique abilities, and you need to use those abilities to fulfill the roles that we have described here. And so, you fill a void in us. And we cannot fill that void ourselves. And so I want you to think about Sarah and how she served Abraham. Those men came, Abraham said, went out and got the lamb, and he said, fix up a meal, and she fixed up a meal. And she understood her role. And look at Priscilla. You see her always mentioned with Aquila. And not only are women special in the home, but they're special in a spiritual sense, in supporting their husbands. Doubt seriously that Aquila would have ever accomplished the goals that he wanted as a leader in the Lord's church without the support of his wife Priscilla. And then you see the worthy woman. But there are Eves, and there are Jezebels, and there's Sapphira's out there. Just think if Sapphira had been strong spiritually and said to Ananias, this just isn't right, Ananias. What we're doing here is a deception. Just think how she would have spared not only his life, but her own life. And so you're very important, and you're very valuable to us. And it's a misconception for you to think because God said to be in subjection to your husband, that somehow you are a lesser human being and you are inferior to your husband. I don't believe that for a moment. And I believe both of my wives have been superior to me in lots of ways. And you can be superior in lots of ways to your husband, but subject yourself to him and be a help to him. Socially, spiritually, and in every way, as God has given you the ability and the talent to love and to appreciate your husband and to make him feel like a man who loves God and wants to serve him. Indeed, wives, be in subjection to your husband, but also understand your role to fill that void within him for companionship, for sex, for all the various avenues that God has designed for this relationship. I appreciate you listening to the lesson this morning, and uh, I, I just, I'm just so disappointed uh, in the world and the way they feel about women being in the home, and somehow they have this judgmental attitude that they're, they're just somebody to walk on in the home. And they could be a lawyer out here ahead of the firm, or they could be this and they can be that and all those things. And I'm not commenting uh, on the ability of, of women who sometimes have to work and, and, and help provide, but I want you to understand what your basic role is. And that's what I believe it is, uh, as I see it revealed in the Scripture. So... Thanks for your attention. I appreciate it so much. Don't be too hard on me. But <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs>